Hello, and welcome to another episode of All of Them Witches. I'm your host, Marcus, here to chat about horror movies. So, uh, normally I would talk about all the things I've been watching since the uh, last recording, but I'm sad to say there has not been many movies that I've watched at all, pretty much. Um, I was shocked when I looked at my letterboxd, but I, I am pretty sure it's correct. I really have not watched any movies. Um, what has been taking my time, I have been watching video. A lot of that has been, though, um, streams on Twitch and such. Which I always do watch to some degree, um, but you know, it's just a little bit more of an uptick on that lately because uh, just not related to movies or horror, but uh, my favorite sort of video game entity out there, Giant Bomb, uh, recently three of the staff members left, and the good thing about that was that um, it turns out that the three that left are starting their own thing called Next Lander. And so I've been watching a lot of their content just to get a feel for it. I am liking it so far. A lot of live streaming. Um, beyond that, I have been watching the soap opera Passions quite a lot. <laughs> like every day, I try to watch at least one episode, maybe two, depends. If I'm cooking, I'm watching an episode. If I'm exercising, I'm watching an episode. So if I'm building a model kit, I'm watching an episode. Um, Passions ran from 1999 to 2008. And as most soap operas, uh, it was on every day of the week, so there would be a new episode every day. So there are quite many episodes, and I am just trying to barrel through it. Why? Because I quite like it so far. Uh, unlike a typical soap opera, maybe, it's a lot more forth, uh, upfront with its sort of mystical elements. There seems to be, there's a witch, there's a main character who's a witch. Uh, she's bad, she's not a good witch. Um, there's another character who has like, I don't know, magical powers, mental powers, I don't know. Um, you know, there's death, rebirth, angels, demons, blah, blah, blah. And that makes it more interesting to me than just, I guess, a typical soap opera, which is just kind of, quote, based on reality. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, so that's why maybe I haven't been watching movies. I don't know. Anyway, I did watch one today, which was Are You in the House Alone? Which is a TV movie. And this TV movie came out in, I believe, 1978. And it is based off of a book that was written by Richard Peck in 1976. So before I get into that, let's. there's not really a trailer, but I did find like a 30-second, I don't know, uh, TV movie of the night or whatever clip. So I'll play that. Are you in the house alone? Hello? Is this a joke? Because if you don't tell me your name, I'm going to hang up. Gail Osborne, a high school student, is being tormented. Hello? <laughs> I'm getting closer. Will she be robbed of her peace of mind? Are you in the house alone? Tonight, 8.30 on Sky Channel. All right, so Are You in the House Alone is a TV movie that premiered in CBS, and it is a story of... A woman, a young woman named Gail, and uh, she is a high school student, and it's basically her being tormented by some mysterious person via phone calls and letters. Not, you know, at this point, certainly that has been done many times, in many ways, but I'd never seen this before, and I really appreciated this movie. It's very, it's very compelling, actually. Um, it starts off, the movie begins with Gail you see her just kind of laying on the ground in a room in a house um, like bleeding a bit and just laying there 
and she gets taken away to a, a hospital basically and right from the get-go you know exactly what's going on because when she's in the hospital basically she says that you know someone raped her and that he was there watching her or something and it's this really creepy echo repeating effect that like fades out into the past you know what happened before this scene took place I was like whoa okay I'm already in on this I'm very scared for what's going to happen because you know you just got to see like what plays out ahead of it so we start off in the movie with Gail again our protagonist she's a teenager she's into photography and she's hanging out with her best friend Allison um who basically is trying to get her to go on a date with this new guy named uh Steve sorry I'm like Roger no his name is Steve <laughs> there's a guy named Steven so they go to a movie together and then eat and it seems like they very quickly hit it off the two of them so that's great and Allison is happy to hear that you know her friend seems to be possibly starting a new and lovely relationship shortly after this this happiness um uh Gail comes home and there is a phone call she picks up the phone and it's just someone breathing um not good not a good sign really um especially in this era you wouldn't have like butt dialing which i know that happens now and sometimes butt dialing phone calls can sound really creepy um, because they're not intended uh, but anyway yeah so either way you know gail's going back to school she's doing well um except she gets a, me- a message in her locker which says i'm watching you so that's a little creepy again people are like well maybe nothing you know someone just playing a joke um but Gail, she goes to babysit at someone else's house. She gets another call there that someone's like, in a really goofy voice, says that they're watching her. And um, that's scary for her because she thinks, okay, this person is targeting her. If he knew to call this other house, that she would be there that night specifically. Um, I wish I could remember the voice. It's really goofy, though. It's like, I'm watching you. Anyway, let's continue. So seems like something serious may be going on or someone is very much trying to scare her i don't know but gail and her boy steve are in love maybe you know they they say they're in love they have sex it's uh assumed anyway this is a tv movie you don't see anything aside from them like leaning back on the couch and you also get like a perspective from outside like if someone is watching so spooky again someone is following her around we know this Gail assumes this, though. She doesn't know, of course. So, but unfortunately, these letters, these calls continue to target her. And that's obviously a bad sign. And um, people don't really think that she needs to be afraid. They really don't think that anything is happening to her. You know, like, they're all basically of the mind that it's probably just a joke or boys are all talking. They're not actually going to do anything that they're saying or trying to scare you. Don't worry. Or even worse, the principal being like, you know, did you lead someone on to make them think you're interested and that's why they're doing this? Like, come on, it wouldn't be her fault. Um, but we, this is when we get to see like a outward change in, in Gail's behavior versus at the beginning, she's very happy, smiley, you know, having fun and nice. Um, here, she's, she's starting to withdraw, not smiling anymore, not happy, very Afraid, You know, if someone walks up behind her, she's shocked because she doesn't know, like, if it will be someone bad. Um, and she's just staring at, like, every man, you know, wondering if it's if this is the guy, basically. So it's very sad to see 
her shift in personality so quickly because of this behavior of whoever is targeting her. It's very upsetting, honestly. So Steve and her, you know, are still together. They're still in a relationship. Um, but everything the movie is doing is trying to make you think that multiple people are targets, of course. Um, like there's one, the, the photography teacher who told her, like, take sexy pictures and stuff. Like, he seems suspect. Her ex-boyfriend, EK or whatever, seems suspect since he seems mad that the she is with another man now. Even Steve seems kind of bad because he gets, like, He's kind of like got a hair trigger. He gets really pissed off really quickly. And I'm like, this is not, even if you aren't the killer, or I mean, if you, even if you aren't the person targeting her, like, you need to chill out or she needs to leave you because this is not a good relationship. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, later on, uh, Gail gets another message, another letter, which is a picture, the picture, the sexy, quote, sexy picture she took in photography class. But it says the word rape on it in red. And that is like extremely alarming more than anything else. This is clearly a, a huge threat. And not that the other things were not, but oh my god. So she's at home alone at some point after this. And she gets a call from her boyfriend saying he's going to come over. And um, she's like, okay, cool. Um, but then she gets a call back very quickly after. So she picks it up thinking it's him. Like maybe he forgot to say something. But then it's the killer saying that basically... Um, if she's in the house alone. Yep, yep. Basically, the, that's when you get that moment where someone in the movie says the title of the movie. Are you in the house alone? So, yeah. And then someone knocks on the door. She does not check to see who it is. She doesn't use the little, like, door chain thing. She just opens the door, and she's like, oh, it's um, you, Phil. Phil, uh, I didn't mention it all in this discussion because I didn't really care about him or see him at all, pretty much, except a little bit. Phil is basically um, her best friend Allison's boyfriend and he is like a rich kid and aside from seeing him in the very beginning you almost never see him. You also, I guess you see him a bit in photography class but other than that it's like he's barely present and he's you know obviously that's intentional because of what's going to happen. Um, he says can he come in so I can use her phone and she says sure. She goes back to doing whatever she's doing in the living room because she's like oh it's just Phil um, who was looking for Allison. He says he's going to, you know, make a phone call. He does not make a phone call. He picks up the phone and talks like he's going to, but um, he doesn't actually do so. He just, like, pushes down on the uh, thing on the phone. Sorry, I haven't touched a real phone like this in years, so I don't remember what it's called, the little thing that the phone rests on. So when it's down, it's depressed. The phone is not active. Anyway, he does that, and then he talks into the phone piece to make it clear that he's not really speaking to anybody, but that um, Gail may believe so. And, he start, and then he starts giggling to himself and wiping down the phone, like, for her fingerprints. And she sees it, and she's like, what is going on? Um, and she doesn't really get it until he starts doing the voices that she heard on the phone and saying what the phone person said, which she, at that point she realizes, oh, you're the guy. And unfortunately, she's in the house. You know, she's away from the front door. She can't do anything, so... He overpowers her, and of course, as the note implied, the threat is that he does carry through and he does rape her. And um, that part is framed very respectfully, I guess, in one sense, because it's a TV movie, you don't see anything aside from the fact like he pushes her down and throws her necklace away off to the side, and that's it. And then you see like just some scary music while you see like the front door. Um, 
So yeah, that's and that circles around to what we saw at the beginning of the movie. That's exactly the same scene. We saw her lying there, and her boyfriend Steve does come over because he said he was going to, and that's where he f- finds her. So she goes to the hospital. I thought this would be the end of the movie because a lot of movies do that. They do a wraparound, and then that's the end. The beginning is the end. But um, it's not. It's not the end at all. It's um, interesting because it continues into a way to talk about what happens to women who maybe suffer uh, an attack, who are raped, and the fact that they may not get anything, any, um, you know, nothing may happen to the person who did it. Because that's true today in many instances, and it was true certainly even more so then in the 70s. So she at first doesn't want to name her attacker because she knows it's going to hurt her best friend Allison since it's her boyfriend. Um, but that's until someone in the hospital tells her if she does not name the person, if she knows them, that what's going to happen is he's just going to do it again. He's going to target someone else and do it again. So that's what finally gets her to say the name. Unfortunately for her, it's it doesn't matter because he is a wealthy man or his family is wealthy. And everyone knows this. Her parents know this. Her friend's family's parents know this. So they're clearly aware that it doesn't matter, probably, that even if they go to court or try to get him in trouble, that his parents are friends with the judge and he'll get away with it. You know, no, nothing at all will happen to him for what he's done. So that's like, and I think they're also implying that there's no way to prove that it was him in a court of law. I don't know. Anyway, so Gail decides to take matters into her own hands because she has noticed someone else is now getting the letters at school, suggesting that Phil is targeting another woman already. So she decides to use a time-lapse camera that's going to take pictures of the locker to see if she can get a picture of him, you know, putting the threatening letters into the locker, you know, as it's happening. She does get it, uh, but then when she goes to retrieve things, um, Phil sees and goes to beat her up and, you know, stop her. So as a result of being, you know, almost beating her up, she, uh, her friend, I don't know who the one guy is, but Steve comes in and sees, okay, yes, we've caught him, like, ready to punch her in the face, basically. So, he does, in the end, what happens, kind of like a coda in this movie, is that Phil pleads guilty to assault, physical assault, of, like, beating up on Gail. So, he, give, he does that, and as a result, the rape charges are dropped? I don't really know how it works, but that's what happens in the movie. And people are like, and then he leaves school. And it's unclear what happens after that, but it's just suggested that um, Phil's parents took him out of this school and put him into a private school in a different state. But even so, he's free and will probably be on the prowl again in the future. So it's kind of a sad ending, but also a good um, for Gail in the sense that at least he's gone. He's not a presence in her life anymore. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. It was quite a movie. Um, I didn't expect it to be to this degree. I don't know. I was expecting more like When a Stranger Calls, I guess. Um, But it's not like that really at all. It is a thriller, certainly, and horrific, and it's what it's about. But I was just like, wow. I felt like, because I really felt for uh, Gail right from the beginning of the movie and really thought she was a great character, and so I felt so bad seeing 
her change and become more fearful over time and you know seeing that that scared nature seeing her tormenting herself after the fact like it is very well done I don't know like it's very well done so I quite appreciated this film and I would definitely suggest others watch it um unfortunately it's not available like on a lot of services but I did see on realgood.com at least in the United States it's currently available on Paramount Plus and Epics I know some people have Paramount Plus so you could probably watch it there um but yeah I watched it via the what is it called televised terrorist box set collection from Vinegar Syndrome because I got that I think on with my recent subscription box um it's the first volume it includes three movies Are You in the House Alone is one of course and then also Count the Girl Murders and Child in the Night. So, like, good good set of things there. I love TV movies. So, yeah, um, Are You in the House Alone is on there. If you're, like, curious, that includes not that much extra features, but it does include some things. Uh, aside from the movie being uh, newly scanned and restored in 2K from the 35mm positive, uh, it does include two extra features. One is uh, called Creating Musical Themes, an interview with composer Charles Bernstein which was cool to hear about his process, about making the music for the movie. And then there was also an audio essay by film historian Amanda Reyes. And that uh, audio essay is about like 12 minutes long, and it kind of goes over kind of in general the telefilm or TV movie. Uh, It's in the 70s and sort of the impact and what this movie was at the time and how it has sort of been viewed since um, and kind of maybe not as well-renowned as it should be. So that was nice. I'm sad that Amanda Reyes didn't do, like, a whole... um, didn't get to do a whole thing where, you know, you talk over the entire movie. I would have loved to see commentary from her because I feel like she probably would have a lot to say about this movie or other movies in this collection, like, honestly. Um, What I will say is she has other audio essays on this uh, set as well. She's also... Let me see... There's also an audio essay for Caldegar Murders from her, as well as Child and Night. Yeah, so she's totally on all these. Unfortunately, and again, not a commentary. I would love to see a commentary from her. I think Amanda Reyes is great. I don't know the first time I ever saw her on social media, but I did follow her uh, podcast when she started one with her friends. Um, oh my gosh, what is it called? I have it in my uh, pocket casts. But yeah, she has a podcast about TV movies. I'm not sure if it's still super active necessarily, but... Oh yeah, uh, the Made for TV Mayhem show. Oh, that's because she had a podcast or a blog called Made for TV Mayhem. So yeah, I probably heard about her like over ten years ago when I was actually involved in using blogs, like blogger blogger blogs. But um, yeah, um, since then she released a book called Are You in the House Alone, which is a TV movie compendium, nineteen sixty four through nineteen ninety nine, and um, that because of that title, you know, clearly a reference to this movie. I always wondered, like, well, how is this movie that she was willing to name a book over it? Like, is this movie super good? Or is it just, like, a movie that really encapsulates the TV movie concept? And I think it's all of those things. It is good, and it is kind of the epitome of TV movie. Uh, It may not be my favorite TV movie, but it is a good one, for sure. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend people watch the movie. I'd also recommend people get the book, Are You in the House Alone? It's a great book. I love it. I read the whole thing. Um, Even though, I mean, it's mainly just kind of um, a bunch of descriptions slash reviews slash editorials about these various different TV movies that I like that sort of thing. So I love it. 
Um, I would love to see more TV movie books coming out now. Um, but yeah, that was very good. So I liked it. I would recommend the box set too. Even though I haven't seen the other movies yet, I would say it's worth it just for this one because I don't think... Um, it hasn't been in print a lot, this movie, otherwise. I saw like there was maybe a double pressing of Are You in the House Alone with... Um, oh my gosh, the... Was it in the initiation of Sarah? I don't remember, but I love that movie. But that was a release a while ago, so this is the best way to get it now and get it in 2K at least. So, very much recommended. I am happy I saw it. Um, thank you for listening, and we will be back in two weeks for another episode.